the Bible reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Well, good morning, everyone. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open. Also, too, to remind you, we haven't forgotten our prayer time. We'll actually, after the message today have a time of open prayer the passage calls us to praise god and give thanks to him and so that's something we want to do in response to the passage this morning so feel free to jot down some things as god puts it on your heart from the text that we can come together and praise him so i'll open in prayer and then we'll have a look at god's word father please help us this morning hear your voice through your word Lord, help us to hear it as it is, the very words of God. May your spirit teach us, correct, rebuke and train us, that we would hold fast to what you would say to us, Father, and holding fast to the truth that we might live rightly for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this week we'll be going verses 3 to 14. Next week, Sam will be doing the prayer, which will take us through to the end of the chapter. But here we've got a glorious section. If, if you thought in terms of blue ribbons, if the blue ribbons were being handed out to chapters of the Bible, Ephesians 1 would be one chapter of the Bible that I would consider a blue ribbon passage because it's a passage that gives glory to God, that exalts Him in ways that would have us fall to our knees and worship Him. But let's remind ourselves how we need to respond to this firstly. In verse 1, we see Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So the words that we are looking at come to us through the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And so that's important because there are some things this morning that may be difficult to understand or grasp, but we've got to remember that this is God's word. These words are what he would have us to hear 
And so in those situations, we come and we pray to him for understanding. We don't dodge them or avoid them. And so I especially encourage you this morning, as every week, have a Bible in front of you. If you're at home and don't have one, duck around the corner and get one so that you can really see that everything that is being said this morning is coming straight from the Word of God. Because if it's not, we've got to let it go. But if it is, we need to submit to it. The other thing that we're reminded just from those opening two verses is that this is about the grace of God, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul passes on that the salvation that we have is completely by grace. And that sets up the rest of this letter as well. Again, that we're hearing the very words of God through his apostle that's going to remind us and teach us about grace. Grace is something we receive that we do not deserve. We come into the world as sinners. From the womb, we follow our sinful nature and we please our sinful nature. And God says the wages of sin is death and condemnation and hell is what we sow. And that applies to every single person. Some familiar words. There is no one righteous, not even one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together, they, we, have become worthless and no one does good, not even one. That's the predicament. That's the indictment against all of us is that we're all under sin. No one seeks God. God says that to us. People may have religious pursuits, but they're not seeking truth and after the true God because God says there is no one righteous, no one seeks after him. And the more you listen to the Bible, the more you realize just what a predicament we are in our sin. The Bible says we can't get out of it ourselves. The more we see it and read and understand it, the more we realize how utterly helpless we are in our sin. And by nature, the Bible says we actually love our sin. We don't love God. We're slaves to our sin and in in respect, we're sort of stuck in the mud of sin. We can't get ourselves out of that mud, but the reality is neither do we want to. We would rather be in the mud of sin, which means we need God to take the initiative, God to reach down and rescue us because we don't want to do it. There's no one else who can do it for we are all sinners. We need someone, God, who would love us so much as to rescue us. And so that's a question right up front this morning. Have you, have you considered just how glorious is God's grace? As Christians, we talk about the grace of God and we know it's good and we know it's meant to be good. But how much have you really meditated on God's grace in the light of the word and understood how huge it is? how magnificent it is, how glorious it is. Sometimes with grace, it's a bit like looking at a picture and you're only a foot away from this big painting, but all you can see is what's in front of you. And you've never seen what's around it. But if you were to take some steps back, a few steps back, you start to see an even more glorious picture that even make, that starts to make sense of all that you focused on. And that's what this chapter this morning is essentially going to do. God is making us take some big steps back to consider the greatness of his grace. 
We might have considered grace up close. But it's a vast and glorious thing, the grace of God. And this morning, he's asking us to step back and take in the whole. And that's what he does through these words of Ephesians 3 down to 14. These words are going to tell us that God's grace, the duration of it is from eternity past into eternity future. It spans the ages and it spans eternity. The other thing it's going to tell us is just the extent of God's grace. We talk about the grace of God and we understand it's not by works, but often as we ponder, we think, if you were to really think it all through, maybe you're essentially saying, I've done 90%, God does 90% and I do the last bit, or maybe even God does 99%, but there's still something that I get to contribute at some point that merits me or helps me across the line. But this chapter blows that out of the water. This chapter tells us the duration is from eternity past to eternity future, but also the extent that the grace of God is 100% God. He gets all the glory. And so that's how we need to respond today. Because by God's grace, we will understand his grace. And that these words are given here to build up the church, to reassure us of just how much more than we can imagine God loves us. We talk about the heights and the depths and the widths. Well, this chapter is there just to stretch it even further for us so that we might just know how much God is for us. And so as we work through this section, it can be broken into three parts. Firstly, the grace of God towards us through the Father, verses 3 to 6. Then the grace of God towards us through the Son, verses 7 to 12. And then the grace of God towards us through the Holy Spirit, verses 12 to 14. So the Father, verses 3 to 6, the Son, 7 to 12, the Holy Spirit, verses 12 to 14. And so let's consider how God's grace is revealed to us through the Father. Verse 3, follow with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That word blessing occurs three times. At the NIV, my NIV would say, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then blessed us and spiritual blessing. If you've got an ESV or the New King James, will be blessed Blessed, blessed, and blessing. Those three times this word blessed comes up. And it's very important we understand what is being said there because it really helps us understand the logic or the flow of what comes after why we're being told what we're being told. The first time blessed comes up at the very beginning, blessed be God. It's telling us something about God. The second time it comes up, it's telling us about something God has done for us. And then the third time, it's telling us something about the quality or the nature of what God has done for us. And I learned something recently, and this really jumped out at me, is what that word blessed actually means. It's different to the one that we have in the Bible that is often translated blessed. 
The common word for blessed is makarios. That's the word, if you think of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that word simply means happy, be happy. This word's different. The word that's translated blessed here means to speak well of someone. That's why it can be translated blessed, because you're speaking favorably towards someone. So the emphasis here in verse 3 is not that God is happy and that he has made us happy. The emphasis here is that God has declared something or God is showing us favor. That first part, blessed be the God, that is only ever used of God because you can only speak favorably of God in that sense because everyone else like you and me, we're sinners. You can't speak well of us perfectly. Only God is the one who is perfectly good and holy. And so we can say he's the blessed one. He's the one that is all to be shown all favor and that he's well. But then it becomes very significant because God, who is the blessed one, has blessed us. The word that's not makarios, it's the word eulogia. And it means to praise. It's made up of you, which means well or true, and logia, logos, for word. So to speak well. It's where we get our word eulogy from. You probably know when you normally hear a eulogy at a funeral. Someone gets up and speaks well of the person who's passed away. But the glorious weight of this verse and how it overflows is that God should speak well of us. God should speak well of us. And that's what is so amazing. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one seeks after God. But here we have seen that God says he speaks well of those who are his. He speaks well of us who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, God blesses us. He eulogizes us. Not because of anything in ourselves, but as the verse says, because we are in Christ. Apart from him, it would be condemnation. But in Christ, it's favor. God sits on the throne of heaven and he speaks well of you, of us from the throne. He speaks words of favor towards us. What do you have to fear when God, the King of heaven, seated upon the throne in the highest place, is speaking well of you? Is showing kindness to you in what he declares. And that leads to every spiritual blessing. I used to read that before I really understood what that word blessed means and start thinking, what are all the things that God has blessed me with in the heavenly realms on account of being in Jesus? And I start to think of things. But it's more pointing towards what God has declared or done. Every spiritual word of favor and of kindness and of goodness that results in those other things. But first, God speaks favor. Every spiritual word of favor in the heavenly realms. And that's why what follows just unpacks so naturally, because we are seeing all the things that God in himself has declared and done for us. 
And so let's consider the ways that God speaks well or shows us favour. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him, that's Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. One of the very or every spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus is election. That God chose us to be in Christ. Salvation is 100% God's initiative. It is God who set his heart upon us. The word for chose literally means to pick out, to make a selection. Where the choosing is all in the hands of the chooser, the thing being chosen has no say. And that is sovereign grace. God sovereignly decreed his favor upon us even before the foundations of the world, before the earth came into being. God's glorious grace spans from before time and that he chose us in Christ. We came to Christ because God first chose us and set his heart upon us. Consider the words of Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And verse 37, John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus is speaking to the crowd. And it's in this passage that we have Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. And then in verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And down to verse 65. And he, Jesus, said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Back to Ephesians. It is only in Christ Jesus that you and I can be holy and blameless before God. It's only through being in Christ that our sins can be washed away. And the Bible said the Father chose us to be in Christ from before the creation of the world. Even though we're completely undeserving. Even before we were born, even though God knew that when you or I came into the world, that we would live in sinful rebellion against him. Even knowing every sin that Jesus Christ, his son, would have to pay for on the cross. God chose us that we would be holy, set apart for him and blameless without sin. And the Bible presents that as a glorious truth to remind us of just how great God's love is for us. Second spiritual blessing that we see in verse 5. Follow with me. He, that's God, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That word predestined means to set something beforehand, to predetermine. And having chosen us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless, we just see that God takes it to another whole level. That's not the end of God's plan. Rather, he predetermined that we would be adopted into his family, that we would be his sons, his children. How wonderful is the favor that God bestows upon us, decrees and speaks for us. How more well could he speak for us than to say, you will be my children. You can't share a closer relationship with God than to be in his family as his child. When a young child is adopted, typically they'll have no say. The child's very passive. It's the adults, it's the others who are going about doing all the legal things to make sure the adoption can take place. And likewise here, God tells us we had no part to contribute to our adoption as sons. Rather, God set his heart upon us and God accomplished all that his law required that we, through the death of his son on the cross, might become his sons and Christ might become our brother. Christ is the firstborn of many brothers. Election, predestination are glorious truths. We may wrestle with them. But I'll bring us back to it shortly. The Bible says they are glorious. We know God is love. That's a given. That's a pillar. You can't shake that. We know God is just. And so if in wrestling with these things about God, we start to think there's something unloving or unjust, we immediately know we've headed in the wrong direction. We're not grasping something. And we should stop and pray, God, help me to understand. Romans 8. Turn with me to Romans 8. Twenty-nine and thirty. I'll start at verse twenty-eight because that's a very familiar verse. Romans eight twenty-eight. Some of you could probably tell me straight away what that verse says. Romans eight twenty-eight, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now, why can we be so certain? Verse twenty-nine. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's our adoption as, as his sons. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God speaks well of us from the throne of heaven. It could not be more certain. Turn with me to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, head towards the right. Two Timothy chapter 1, verse 8.
Verse 8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God's grace towards us in Christ Jesus from before the world came into being. What a joy that this should bring us. God, the King of heaven, speaks of us as his children, speaks of us with favour. And so the Father speaks well of us and has decreed good for us. Let's consider God the Son. Let's go down to verse 7. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Keep your finger there and turn with me to John 17 and hear what Jesus has to say. He's with his disciples. It's in the upper room. He's drawing near to having to go to the cross. John chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Down to verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. And verse 9. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me. For they are yours. The Father began a work in eternity and the Son picks up that work and continues that work. He's the Lamb who was slain from before the creation of the world. And we understand from verse 7 in Ephesians what that slaying is because in Him we have redemption through His blood. That is how the Son speaks well of us. He says, I have redeemed them. Or as the verse even goes, I've redeemed them and I've called them by name. That redemption means to have a payment paid for us to set us free, a ransom. And Jesus paid that ransom to set us free from slavery to sin and the penalty of sin with his own blood. He's redeemed us. We could not redeem ourselves. We could not pay the price. That is all the work of Jesus. And he says in heaven, I've redeemed you. 
And then there's forgiveness, verse 7. That redemption leads to the forgiveness of our trespasses. Full forgiveness. Full forgiveness. In Jesus, all your sins, past, present, and future, have been thoroughly and completely paid for. Which means in the courtroom of heaven, you have nothing to answer for. Nothing. And you know your sins. And yet the Father has said he will cast them as far as east is from the west. He says he will remember them no more. And so you are holy and blameless in his sight as if you had never sinned through coming to the cross of Jesus. Which means it's as if you had never sinned and so your sins are gone. God has forgiven you of everything. A full and enduring pardon. Jesus speaks well of you in that way. God the Son speaks well of you and shows you that favour. And this again is all because of God's grace. That redemption, that forgiveness in verse 7 finishes according to the riches of his grace. And it says of how God has lavished his grace upon us. All this is the overflow of God the Father in heaven loving us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross. That word lavish means to be over and above. It means to overflow. It means abounding. At the cross, God doesn't just give you a drop of grace. At the cross, God's grace gushes forth like a fountain and it will never stop reaching to the heavens. His grace is poured out lavishly. God speaks well of us. And the next thing that we have told and that we get to share in is that Christ will be over all. That is God's plan. The mystery of his will, verse 9, which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth, that Christ would be the King of kings and Lord of lords. That there would be no rebellion in heaven or on earth, but Christ shall reign everywhere supreme. And how well has God spoken of us? We will share in that kingdom. Verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ. Sorry, verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. That is an inheritance that we now share in. United to Christ, we will share in the kingdom that is beyond imagination, the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom where Christ will be seated on the throne, where there shall be no sin. And God from eternity past set his heart upon you that you and I might share in that. David's throne shall not be empty. Christ the beloved. He's the beloved one, it said there at the end of verse 6. Blessed us in the beloved. The word David means beloved. That's what my name means. David is the beloved one. Christ is the capital D, David. He's the one who is the David into eternity. He's the one who will sit on that throne. He's the beloved one of God. The sovereign grace of God shown towards us, put in place from before the creation of the world, made 
effected through the cross of Christ is the ultimate rags to riches story anyone could ever comprehend. Because we are more than rags in our sin. We are detestable. We are wretches. Amazing grace has sweet the sound that saved a wretch. And yet the gospel, the sovereign grace of God takes us where God is speaking so well of us that he speaks of us as his children, as his sons, that we would be redeemed as if we had never sinned, that we would share in the kingdom of heaven, that we should ultimately be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. And what are the work of the Spirit? Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We'll start at verse 2. One Thessalonians chapter one verse two. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in words but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. End of verse 4. Brothers, loved by God, we know that he has chosen you because the gospel came to you not only in words, but in power and in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that reveals that want to say turns the lights on. Turn to one more. Two, well, there'll be more. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me see what the Holy Spirit does. So 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's this holy work of the Holy Spirit, that's his work to turn the lights on. Without the Holy Spirit, we are blind. We stay in darkness. But there, just as God said at the beginning of creation, let there be light in the darkness. So just as sovereignly and powerfully he has said into our hearts, let there be light that we might understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can preach all day. You can read your Bible all year. But unless the Holy Spirit turns the lights on, nothing is accomplished. It's the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's just simply coming to us as words. It's the Holy Spirit that lays hold of the words of the gospel and his power and brings about new life. Just as Jesus said to Nicodemus, the Spirit will blow where he will blow and bring about a new birth. 
And so the Holy Spirit too is in heaven, speaking well of us in the heavenly realms. If you remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And who is it that dwells in us? It's the Spirit of God. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. When we put our faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God came to dwell in us. Having turned the lights on. And we read this in Ephesians 1 verse 13. To him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We've been sealed. That picture of a seal is the seal of a king. If you received a message from the king, it'll be pressed with the king's seal. So you knew that that message, or whoever's in, around that message, this is from the king. And what are we being told here? How well does God speak of us? How well does the Holy Spirit show us favor? The Holy Spirit has sealed us. He's the imprint of God. He's the signet ring of God upon us that says, mine. Heaven looks down and sees God's. And God hasn't done it just by marking us in some way as he did Cain, but by placing his seal, the Holy Spirit, the very third person of the Trinity upon us. And that sealing we see here guarantees our inheritance. God hasn't asked anyone else to go guarantor. He is guarantor himself. It is certain. The Holy Spirit speaks well of you. Declares spiritual blessings upon you through sealing you and guaranteeing you the things of God. So let's try and just pull these things all together. Firstly, the Bible teaches salvation is all of God. All of God. These verses make us take that great step back and consider things maybe we haven't considered before, but to take that great step back and see it is all God. In verse 5, it's according to God's, the purpose of his will. Verse 8, it's according to God in all wisdom and insight. Verse 9, it's according to God in his purpose. Verse 10. It's according to God's plan. Verse 11. It's according to his purpose and according to the counsel of his will. This wondrous mystery is all the workings of God and his purposes and his will and his wisdom. And the wisdom stretches our minds, may even be beyond us. But if the Bible is declaring these things, we need to sit with them. 
and not fight them. We need to be with Job at the end of the book of Job. And he finds out that all his wisdom was actually just darkening the counsel of God. He thought he was so wise and clever and he was having a go at God or denying things. But in the end, God says, who is this that darkens my counsel? You don't understand. And so what does God encourage him to do? Sit silently. Worship me. Even though there are things that you may not grasp. Or we have to sit with Paul. Some people may accuse God of wrong or question things as being unjust. But the Bible just declares, Paul tells us in Romans 9, who are we to answer God or talk back to him? He's the potter, we're the clay. Rather in faith, we need to step back. And as Paul finishes up that section, Romans eleven thirty three, over depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of God? For who has been his counsellor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Over the depths of his riches and wisdom. There are probably many, many things in the Bible about God that we don't understand. There are probably many things in your life that you're asking God why. But God is all wise and all knowing and is thoroughly in control and all things are being accomplished according to his purpose. And the Bible again and again says, as we hear these wondrous things of God, worship him. Ask him for understanding. Because all these things, verse 4 tells us, are according to the love of God. Having been chosen, having been before the foundation of the world, having been predestined, it's in love. Everything, all these things, redemption, forgiveness, being sealed, having an inheritance is all an overflow of God's love. And thus grace abounds. Grace is lavish. Grace is like Niagara Falls. When you consider the picture in the whole, if you meditate on these words and step back as to what God is telling us and trying to help us understand about his grace, to God alone be glory, honor, and praise. We've got nothing to contribute. And the reality is we will all praise God for this into eternity, for his sovereign love and care. We also see that salvation is the work of a triune God. Each person of the Trinity has a role. The Father chooses, the Son redeems, the Spirit seals. All working together, not apart from each other, but working together as a whole. Salvation is all of God, and salvation is the outworking of one Savior, Father, Son, and Spirit. And these words are put here that we might delight and rejoice knowing how well God speaks of us. The Father speaking well of you, the Son speaking well of you, the Spirit speaking well of you, all three in heaven bearing witness that upon you, we, we have shown our favor, God's favor is upon them. 
perfect unity, blessing us unto salvation from the very throne of God. Every spiritual blessing. The best words you could ever hear. Nothing can ever come as close to knowing that God upon the throne speaks like this of us. And they're the surest words because God's word stands forever. Where do you seek your identity? So much of what goes on around in the world is people trying to make a name for themselves. <laughs> Pride is about trying to make a name for myself. When people in different situations, we're trying to make a name for ourselves because we don't want to be a bit lower. But if God speaks from the throne of heaven and says, you are mine, you are my child, my spirit indwells you. There is no way your name could be higher. God has given you that name. Your name is lifted high in heaven, from the throne of heaven. Doesn't matter what anyone on earth has to say about you. Doesn't matter what anyone at work or at school has to say about you as you cling to Christ. God in the highest throne speaks well of you. And not only that, the words that he speak of you endure forever. Never in my life would I want to exchange a name for myself and lose what God has done for me. Because the name that we have in Christ, the identity we have in him, is the favor of God into eternity. And so how do we respond? Because that's what this passage wants us to do. It wants us to respond. Paul is telling us these things. God is telling us these things. After declaring how much God the Father is for us, verse 6 finishes. Read it. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. After declaring how God the Son is for us, verse 12. Read it. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And after telling us how much the Spirit is for us, see verse 14. There's the guarantee of our inheritance, inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. Three times. To the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. Praise, praise, praise. Only when our hearts are caught up in giving glory to God like this will we find real freedom in living for him. Because all that we do will just be a natural overflow of this abounding affection for a God who has loved us with an everlasting love. We will get to chapter 4 if you flick over there. Chapter 4 verse 1. And we'll hear these words in a few weeks' time. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. But we don't want to dive in there if we haven't really meditated and considered what that calling is or how great that calling is. If we can grasp the things that are being opened up in these opening chapters or these opening verses, that's going to be a natural thing to live worthy of that calling. 
may our hearts be caught up in giving glory to God for his extraordinary sovereign grace. And then it will be natural that we will give our lives in obedience to him and to live, to make him look great, to give glory to him. Shortly, we're going to have a time of open prayer, which Warren will lead us in. I encourage you to underline or jot or write somewhere things from this passage about God's kindness shown towards us, about his grace, about his mercy, about redemption, about forgiveness, about being sealed, about an inheritance, all these things. And I pray that in this prayer time, we can come together and give praise to him to offer up prayers of thanksgiving and praise, declaring his glory. And so please, meditate on these truths because they are there that our hearts will be filled, filled to overflowing and join in giving praise to God for all that he has done. I'll pray. Father, what a glorious gospel, what abounding grace to each of us who are the chief of sinners. And so, Father, please, by your spirit, open our eyes to see your glories and wonders. And, Father, may we rest in you, knowing that whatever this week or whatever life brings, that you are for us. Father, Son, and Spirit, you speak favour upon us and your work of salvation that reaches into eternity past will take us into the future and into eternity forever. Father, we thank you for your abounding grace. In Jesus' name, amen.